from United for four years. And during that time, I got to journey alongside and hear about stories all across the country of communities just like you who were entering into often a very difficult um, but really rewarding and really important journey. And so it's always, it's never um, old to me. Anytime I get invited uh, to be a part of something like this, I'm so excited because I see how it changes and transforms communities and will transform the world. So I wanted to share a few things about Affirm United um, that you may know. They are actually a charitable organization of United Church people. They are not run by the United Church. They're separate, but they work together. So they get some autonomy to sort of challenge and push the United Church along and the things that they see need to be done. Uh, they do education to promote greater awareness of sexual orientation and gender identity, action and advocacy to end discrimination against people in those categories and in our own society and, and our own organization and support to help people of all sexual orientations and gender, gender identities find community in the church and elsewhere. And they've been around for 30 years. So way long, long, long before I was even a baby gay, they were doing this work so that one day I could be here among you. And I'm so thankful to those who have gone before me and those who have gone before you and you who you are going before uh, to make a difference in the world. So right now, uh, they have had record numbers of churches becoming affirming. This In June alone, there were 15 that, that, uh, that made the choice. So percentage-wise, it's been huge in their 30-year history. Uh, right now, there are 190. That's still only about 5% of United Churches in Canada. So you are leading the charge, and churches are going to look to you to see what you're doing, what you're all about, how they can support you, and how they can learn from you. So that's really exciting. And there are about 90 ministries right now who are going through the process as you did. You can find more information. I really encourage you to like their page on Facebook. You can see what's happening in other churches. Steal their ideas, support them, and champion them. This is not always an easy thing to be, um, but it's really important. So I'm so proud to recognize, on behalf of Affirm United, Red Deer Lake United Church as an affirming ministry today. And so just be, we've said this already, but this we got here because of you guys, um, because you had the courage and the love to do that. Um, and within that, we had a small group of people who made this happen. And so the person who really needs to receive this is our firm team. And so let's give one big round of applause to our firm team who helped let us here and will keep leading us forward. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've gotten chills and excitement and tears, and I'm sure I'll cry at another point. It's okay. We're in this together. Um, so thank you. When I was four years old, I wrote my first story, and this is what it said. I love my puppy. I love Jesus. I love my mom. And then I ended with a closing, I love my puppy again. Just to say, who was the most important? <laughs> now, in this story, it was only about 60% true because I did not have a puppy. 
But I did have a mom, and I loved her, and I did love Jesus. I had an active imagination and was always creating and telling stories ever since I can remember. I spent a lot of time outside growing up in a village, not even a town or a city, but a village of 700 people in upstate New York. A place where I had access to lush green forests full of soft moss, perfect trees for climbing, and easy access to dirt and trouble. My imagination had space, literally geographical space, to flourish, and I'm so thankful for that. In many ways, it laid a foundation for the kind of faith I wanted, even when it became a hidden desire. As I grew up, that faith of just knowing I love Jesus and that I'm loved became more and more binary. This was right and that was wrong, with no room for questions or gray areas. The religious ideas around me wanted the acreage of my growing faith to shrink from an expansive wilderness to a neat and clean patch of grass. But in my little four-year-old heart, I had something right. I knew I was part of something divine. I didn't feel any barriers between myself and God. And I felt a connection that wasn't informed at that age by reason or even by scripture. It was something I knew to be innately true. But as time went on, the world I saw as full of wonder and possibility began to contract. I bought into it even though my insides railed against it. I wanted to belong. We all do. And we do strange things to belong. So for many years, I drowned out my desire to live in the questions, to trust that I was connected, only to cling on to answers that weren't true or life-giving or helpful to me or anyone else. Part of me gave in to the idea that I had to decide everything first and forever in order to be connected. And when you've lived most of your life, for me about a quarter of a century, in an effort to shut down your imagination or to find comfort in conformity, regaining your ability to dream and to imagine is a lot harder than it sounds. It took me a long time to remember, to get back to the place where I knew my, in my core the same thing I knew when I was young, that faith is meant to be imaginative, not restrictive. And when we look at the life of Jesus, he didn't live in a binary his life was full of dreams, of visions, of possibilities, of changing his mind, adaptations to adversity, pausing for children, for people who needed him, even when he was in a different trajectory. He was constantly saying, you've been told that this thing is true, but I'm here to tell you there's another way. He didn't have any regard for the religious or 
political structures of his time. He chose weird and wonderful ways of revolution. His adventure of temptation and vocation is an example of the kind of call that I am, that you are invited to answer. A gospel that is alive and still being written. Now, it seems like a big idea, but it seems simple on paper. I read it on paper and I think, yeah, yeah, we can totally do that. But just as someone mentioned in the prayers, when this starts becoming real, when we take the invitation of Jesus seriously, it can cause extreme distress to the systems that have been put in place specifically to sap imagination from our life of faith. It is uncomfortable. Bishop Yvette Flunder says, The gospel lived and taught by Jesus was a scandal. Scandal, an action or event regarded as morally or legally wrong and causing general public outrage, is a great definition for how Jesus' ministry was regarded among the religious establishment of his time. This is the scandal of the gospel. The Bible talks about the gospel. It is not the gospel. The gospel is alive and cannot be contained in a book because God is still revealing it. God is still revealing it. So if we don't see spirit and spirituality as something alive and that we're all able to be a part of, our view of faith becomes constricting. And we become people, I became a person who constricted others. When we are closed off, we do not want to see people who are open. It doesn't feel right. But again, the Bible talks about the gospel. It is not the gospel. The gospel, which means the revelation of Christ, is still being revealed, and we must be a part of this work. I knew this. I knew this when I was little, and I had to be trained out of it. The younger folks who are in this room right now know this. They know acceptance. And sometimes we are trained out of it, and we hope and Perfect. There we go. Look at that. Many of us have been told that the only kind of religion we can practice is something that strips us of our identity, that leaves us feeling shamed and unworthy, and tells us that we must must perpetuate this. To me, I was told if I didn't feel guilty, I was not holy enough. 
And as a gay person who grew up in church and has now spent almost a decade working with and among LGBTQ people, I can tell you that almost every single person I've met in this work, 99%, have been told that their innate sense of connection to their faith is wrong unless they deny the other parts of their identity. But our identity as LGBTQ people and as people of faith are intertwined. When I came out to my very religious, conservative, Republican, Texan parents, super easy. <laughs> the thing that I said to, him that I, to them that I cling on to and that I feel in every part of my being now, although it was a long journey to get here, is that without my faith, my life would not be fulfilling. And believe me, I've tried to leave it behind many times. But I know that without that piece of me, my life will not have the meaning it should have. But without being open about who I am and saying, being gay is also part of me, also gives me meaning, I wouldn't have integrity. And my faith calls me to have integrity. And so, in fact, they must go together. And in many ways, the affirming ministry program must exist. It must. People say, why do we need that? We're welcoming. Why do we need that? It's 2017. No, no, no. We need that. Because countless people like me have been forced to find family and community outside of the boundaries where we should have been able to have those things. And it is a great sadness. But if you've experienced that, I want you to know you're not alone. And I want you to know that the thing inside of you and I that has walked alongside us our whole lives is the ability to take adversity and imagine another way of being. I know that people who identify under the LGBTQ umbrella and all others who are viewed as not normative for whatever reason have a unique creativity to offer. We have seen that some parts of the world do not hold space for us. We have experienced or are experiencing pain and challenge because of this. And yet, our hearts and our souls have found, even if we don't realize it, a way through. Even if we've held on by a thread, we're still here. We have not only dreamed of a way forward, we are the way forward. We are the way forward. This is what the founders of the affirming movement based their passion and their dreams on. When their reality, when their reality of 190 churches making these statements and doing this work was far from being true. We fashion the world we need and we honor our insides and outsides in order to reflect the authenticity, the integrity that is deep within us. 
We live and move and mourn and use our voice for our peers who had to let go, who are also many. But we try and we tremble and we rest and still we imagine. In this, we are creative. In this, we are co-creators with God. It's been at the darkest times in my life where I've created the things that are most intimate and at least the most meaningful to me. At times when I was pressured to be small and invisible and normal. And so I turned inward. I cried and I prayed, but most of all, I still created. Not out of a sense of desperation, but out of a sense that I needed to be part of a story that was bigger than me. I needed to know that I could at least try to add, in whatever small way, another access point for people to find humanity because that is what I needed. And God was present, not because it was perfect, but because it was honest. I longed for a world that didn't exist and hopes that my imagination could make it true one day. And this is what other authors and theologians and artists and ministers have done for me, offering me an access point to say, I see you as human and I value you as a piece and a needed piece of God. And this is truly what affirming communities do. You are full of dreamers. You are cracks in a rigid system that needs to shatter. You are a chance to let the light in. And in your journey, in the past and now and in the future, we get to be transported into other stories, like in the video that we saw. We get to see another glimpse of realities that we may never experience and yet they expand us. This is what the living gospel does. It tells us stories of what can be, of a life we don't know yet, but it gives us hope. This is holy imagination, and it's not a new idea. I didn't make this up. Ancient and modern authors alike, like Rumi, Joseph Campbell, C.S. Lewis, Anne Lamott, Richard Rohr, and Bishop Flunder, and countless others, we discovered that the point of scripture is not to teach us doctrine, but to invite us on an unending adventure. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, the path we walk is charted by faith, not by what we see with our eyes. And we're challenged to let go of seeing things from a human perspective, but to look with the eyes of God. Will we sometimes want comfort and concrete answers? Of course, all the time I do. Will we pray for reality to match just what we want and what's good for us? Absolutely. But a life of faith isn't certain. It's scandalous, just like the life of Jesus. The very definition of faith means we don't quite know what will happen and an adventure would not be an adventure if we knew what came next. 
But this is a faith that is way harder than the binary that I grew up with. People who find out now that I work with United Churches versus Baptist churches say, oh, it must be so easy now. You just, like, get together and have sandwiches, you know. (laughs) And, I mean, the sandwich thing is true, and I really appreciate that. (laughs) And coffee, too. Um, But this is way harder, folks. When we actually think about what love looks like, and we can't just say, oh, this is right, and this is wrong, and I'm going to be right, and I can point out everybody who's wrong, and you can come and join me if if you think that you're on the right side, and perfect. Man, that felt super safe for me. Even when I was hiding on the inside, I thought, oh, at least I'm okay. Not like those other people out there. But just like in the song, Draw the Circle Wide, we don't, in this life of faith that we're talking about and the work that you're doing, we're not just drawing the circle wide, we're erasing the lines. And what does it mean if you, like me, go from a life of this and this, and there's a line in between us, to saying, oh my gosh, if there's no inside and no outside, what does faith look like? What does love look like? And that's the hard work. But that's the kind of faith I can get behind. And that's the kind of life that Jesus lived, and that's the invitation that we have. So what will you be called to do next? It's been said in the prayers, here we are, and it's not a destination, it's the beginning. So you may have ideas. Your committee and the folks who have been spearheading this work, you may have ideas or thoughts of signage or, you know, I always recommend buying a megaphone for the Pride Parade. Maybe you've done that. You may have ideas of what the building looks like and what it feels like to be here. And what you say on your website and the things you're going to talk about and the stories that you're going to hear. And it takes time and intention. And I promise you, it won't be easy. And I think you know that. Becoming affirming does not resolve conflict. It only invites you into a new way of being courageous. Courage to be the community we need a beacon of light in the dark, swirling messiness of the religious realm. And you've been bold. You've wrestled with real questions and fears and lived in the tension, and I promise you that it's worth it. Every conversation. And on behalf of my own soul, a soul that 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when I was four, needed this, I thank you. And on behalf of countless others, even people who will never, ever come in the building, who will see you walk in the pride parade, who will see what your affirming mission says on your website, who will hear that you exist, that will mean something to them. There are people standing for me And maybe I'm hurting and I can't be a part of it. Maybe so much has happened, but it gives them light and hope to know that you exist and you're doing this work. It matters way beyond this building, way beyond what we're saying here in this time. 
It is a light, and I promise you, I've seen it happen across the country, and you have to know that you have the ability to bring so much light, to be what the gospel inspires us to be, revealing Christ as you live. Reverend Bruce Epperly wrote, The life of faith is a heroic challenge to imagine the impossible and then embody it in companionship with an imaginative God. These are adventurous times calling for the most imaginative of faiths. And friends, you know, we know with what's happening in our lives and what's happening in the world, these are adventurous times to say the least. But we are an adventurous people. And people of faith should be the most adventurous. And I'm not certain about many things. But one thing I know and I cling to is that in these questions, we are not alone. In this gospel, God is with us. And because of this, we can still create. We can use struggle to fuel our imagination, knowing that we're part of something bigger. So crack the system open and let your light shine because we need you. You need to hear that. We need you. And you need us. So may God be with you, with me, and with us as a community in this holy adventure that we embark on. Thank you.